0: From the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make every path straight. Prepare for the kingdom of God is at hand. Having concluded on the baptism into the body in our last broadcast, we shall begin to discuss the baptism with the Holy Spirit, or baptism in the Holy Spirit, or baptism of the Holy Spirit, or simply Holy Spirit baptism. But first, let's do a brief review of our discussion in our last broadcast. The goal in our last program was to dispel misconceptions about the baptism into the body. And we made it clear that you are not baptized into the body because you made a decision to attend a church. Or because after you had been born again, you now said, this is the church I want to worship. No, it is a decision that is made by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. It is not your decision. So if you made a decision to attend a particular church, that is your decision. It doesn't mean that you have been placed there by the Holy Spirit. You have to wait and allow the Spirit of God to direct you, to lead you. And he has his way of doing things. Even when we are still young believers and we don't know how to go about it, he has his way of doing things. The other thing that we noted is that the decision on where and how you are going to serve God in either the local body or the global body, again, is the decision of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who directs. He's the one who leads. He's the one who will tell you where to go, when to go, and what message to preach or to teach or what assignment he has for you. By the way, your assignment may not necessarily be within the confines of a church that is within the gathering of the believers. It might actually be outside. You might be an evangelist of some sort where you are working in the secular, and by reason of your conduct and even possibly your speech, you are able to win souls for the Lord. You're able to bring people to ask the one question that how is it that you are unfazed by the things that's happening? How is it that you get to live the way you are living and so on and so forth? Then we mentioned the issue of divine service in the body. It's not about paying tithes and offerings. God has a specific work for you within the body tithes and offering is for everybody. It's not limited to just a few people and that cannot be your assignment. Then we noted that every believer is being built a spiritual house. And like Solomon's temple, where we noted that the stones that were used in building the temple were shaped in a quarry far away from where the temple was. And after they had been shaped, they were now shipped to the temple and fitted in. In the same way, we are being shaped in this world and we have a place where we shall enter in heaven. But right now, we are fitted into the local assembly here on the earth. And when we leave the earth, we'll be moved to where we ought to be in the temple in heaven. We saw from the book of Revelation that the bride of Christ was described to be like a city with walls and foundations and gates. The gates were named after the 12 tribes of Israel. The foundations were named after the 12 apostles. And naturally, of course, the walls would be the believers. So, each believer is like a stone being built and he has a place in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the one who is doing the placement. It's not something that we do, it's something that the Holy Spirit does. He places us where He chooses and we stay in those places by the grace of God. Now, in this broadcast, we go to our discussion, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism with the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit. Any of those things are applicable or what we simply call Holy Spirit baptism. Let's begin by reading. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, verse 8, and then chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5 and then 8. And being assembled together with them, that is, the Lord Jesus with his disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with water with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. In verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want you to note some things here now, because we're going to point them out in some detail later. He says, You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, in verse 8, he says, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Now let's go to Acts chapter 2 and read from verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There are many misrepresentations of the Holy Spirit baptism, but by the grace of God, we hope to clear that in the series of discussions that we shall be having on this subject. Now, Holy Spirit baptism is labeled differently, but they all refer to the same thing. Like I pointed out in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, we read that you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 8, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, so baptism with the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And then in verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about the same thing, the same baptism of the Holy Spirit, but expressed in different ways. So whether it is baptism with or in or a coming upon or a filling with the Holy Spirit, baptism takes place. That is the Holy Spirit baptism will take place when a born again individual is dipped into or immersed in or overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. The expression overshadowed was actually used in Luke chapter 1 when angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and spoke to her about her bringing forth a child. And Mary wondered how that could be possible since she had not known a man. Let me read from verse 34 now. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One which is to be born will be called the Son of God. So when we talk of baptism and the we're talking of a situation in which the Holy Spirit overwhelms or overshadows or takes us in as it were, something that the Lord Jesus Christ does. And like we noted earlier on, in Holy Spirit baptism, the Lord Jesus Christ is the baptizer into the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the medium of baptism, just like water is the medium into which the believer is baptized in water baptism, or the Lord Jesus Christ in the spiritual realm, the body of Christ, which is the church, is the medium into which the believer is baptized in the baptism into the body. And the baptized is usually a person who has been born again of the Holy Spirit. Note, if you are not born again, you cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 11 to 13, I want to discuss this issue of being born again, not elaborately, but we'll make some notes here. The Bible says, he, that is Lord Jesus Christ, came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They did not welcome him. They did not accept him. But as many as welcome him, as many as accept him, as many as receive him, even those who believe on his name, who believe that he is the savior, that he is the Messiah, who believe that he is the one who has brought salvation to mankind, By reason of his death, to those ones, he gave the power or the right or the privilege to become sons of God. And he says, these people were not born of blood. You are not born again because your father is a Christian. You are not born again because your grandma or your grandpa took you to church when you were young. No, it is a decision that you take to receive Christ, to accept him, to welcome him into your life. So they're not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It's not something you just decide. There's a conviction that comes upon you when the Spirit of God convicts you and convinces you that you're a sinner. And you realize that indeed I'm a sinner. And then you submit and surrender yourself and you become a child of God. You become born again. You now have the rights, the privilege of being called a son of God or a child of God. We are creations of God by birth. But through the gift of salvation, We become children or sons of God. In John chapter 3, verse 3 to 8, the discussion between Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says here that when Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ, that, oh, the kind of things that we are seeing you do, only somebody who's from God can do those things. Surely you must be from God. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born? When he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You are not going into heaven unless you are born again, and you don't have to re-enter your mother's womb. Now the Lord Jesus now begins to explain Moses. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That is which is born of your mother, you are flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So to be born again is a spiritual act. And it is something that happens spiritually. In verse 7, it says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. You can't even predict him. He is controlled by the Spirit. This is a very vital thing. Because unless a man is born of the Spirit of God, He cannot qualify for the baptism into the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1 verse 33, when John was baptizing and the Lord Jesus Christ came, John made a statement concerning the Lord. He said, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the baptizer into the Holy Spirit. No man can baptize you into the Holy Spirit. It is what the Lord Jesus Christ does. It is a spiritual thing. It happens by faith, yet we see the manifestation visibly. So to get a correct view of Holy Spirit baptism, we shall look at the medium, which is the Holy Spirit himself, the individual to be baptized, the evidence that baptism has taken place, and the fruit or the result or the effect Of the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the baptized. Now, this is something that will span the next two or three, if not four broadcasts. So let's begin with the medium, that is the Holy Spirit. To speak or to teach on the Holy Spirit is to do a teaching on the entire Bible that is spanning from Genesis to Revelation. In order not to be all over the place, we shall limit ourselves to a discussion that is relevant to the subject of baptism into the Holy Spirit. So as we are discussing the medium, the Holy Spirit, we are looking at it within the context of what is relevant to Holy Spirit baptism. And we may not find that out until maybe in the next broadcast, or even as we go along, we'll probably mention a few relevances with what we are discussing. So let's, by way of introduction, note that until recently, and in some instances, even presently as we speak, there are people who regard the Holy Spirit as a mere spirit or a concept or a force the Greek word pneuma means force. So some people think that the Holy Spirit is a force or a concept or just some spirit somewhere, but that's not true. The Holy Spirit is a person like the Father, like the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, he is the third person of the Godhead. That's why you have the word Trinity, even though that word does not exist in the Bible, it is used to describe the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, he is equal with the Father and with the Son in power, in authority, and so on and so forth. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, when God was going to create man, he had a meeting and said, let us make man in our likeness. He definitely couldn't have been speaking about angels because angels he made. So he couldn't have been speaking about angels when he said, let us make man. He was speaking to the son who we now know as the Lord Jesus Christ or at the time known as the word and the Holy Spirit. In John chapter one, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and there was not anything made that was made without him. When you read Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says when God was creating the heavens and the earth, the Spirit brooded over chaotic matter. And He said, and God said, let there be light. The one who spoke is the word who said, let there be light. God determined to recreate the world. Then the one who spoke the word said, let there be light. And the Spirit of God made it to come to pass. So when you now hear, and God saw. That it was good. The father came to inspect and saw that it was good. So we have the triune God involved in creation. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as he, not it, and not she. In Romans chapter 8 verse 26, there was an error in translation. When they said the spirit itself, but it's corrected elsewhere. They say the spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is a he. Now some people have said he's a she. Because we have the Father, we have the Son, so the Holy Spirit has to the She. He is not the way God is. He is not the way man is, 100%. He's not an apple for apple comparison. So the Holy Spirit is a He, the person, the third person of the Godhead, equal in power, equal in authority with the Father and the Son. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ said, the sin against the Father or against the Son can be forgiven, but the one against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven because he doesn't speak of himself. We're going to see some of those things. He is a gentle man, he's completely different, he operates differently. His focus is on glorifying the Father and the Son. He doesn't speak about himself. The Holy Spirit is variously referred to as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Holy Ghost. He has different names by which he is called. We probably will encounter some of them. Usually, when you read modern translations, you will see. The S of spirit in capital, that tells you that they are speaking of a person. He uses the appellation for a noun when he is being mentioned in scripture. Like I said earlier, he was involved in creation. He is the one that makes things happen. Like I said, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, let there be light, he brought light to being. He's the implementer. That's why he's referred to as the power of God. He was not revealed in the Old Testament the way he's revealed to us now in the New Testament. And because of that, there seems to be a lot of confusion in scripture concerning him, especially when people decide to sit on one aspect of scripture and not the entire scripture. So let's discuss the coming of the Holy Spirit or the advent of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Before the Lord Jesus Christ departed from the earth, he instructed his disciples concerning the Holy Spirit. Yes, it was. He introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples as paraclete. Now, the word paraclete, let me read John chapter 14 from verse 16. It says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word helper is paraclete, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17 says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. We're going to come back to this later, but I wanted to point out that word paraclete. It means one who is always close by. A paraclete is somebody who is next to you. One who will never leave your side. That's why I say he will be with you forever. He is one who is always on hand to help, which is why he is called here helper. So the Holy Spirit as a person, a spirit that we cannot touch, nonetheless a person is one who is close to you. He is next to you, your helper if you are a Christian. The Holy Spirit is therefore described as advocate, helper, consoler, counselor, comforter, encourager. So in that capacity as Paraclete, he is there for you as a believer in everything that you want to do. He's there to encourage you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to console you, to counsel you. He's there to help you, to assist you, to direct you, to lead you. Let's look at John chapter 14 verse 26. The A part. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He uses that same word, paraclete, which when you break it down, it means these things. He is there to help you, to counsel you. He is one that God has given to us. The Holy Spirit is an indispensable ally of the believer in Christ. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, we are finished. We will be naked, exposed, and we will be an endangered species, which is why the Bible makes it clear that the Antichrist will not be revealed or will not be given all the power that he would have whilst the Holy Spirit is here with the believer. But when he is taken away, at which time he will be taking the believers, that's what was called the rapture of the church, goes away with the believers. Then the man of sin is going to be revealed 100%. Right now, as we speak, the works of the man of sin are manifest in different places in the church, in various governments, in offices, in industry, everywhere. I find it very interesting when people look at somebody and label him Antichrist. It is possible that he's an Antichrist, but there are so many people, so many presidents in the world today who are against Christ. Some of them tell you that they believe in Jesus Christ, but it is a lie. The man of sin when he comes, he will come as though he is a Christian. Eventually, when the Holy Spirit is gone, the full manifestation of who he is will become clear to all. The Lord called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth, which we read in John 14, verse 17. He says he's the Spirit of Truth. In other words, anything he tells you is true and it is the truth. He cannot lie. In John chapter 15, verse 26. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. Whatever he tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. So we don't take information about Christ from men. We take it from the Holy Spirit. Anybody who is speaking outside of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit cannot be speaking the truth. So he may be a preacher, but if you are not preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not going to tell the truth. You will be lying. There will be embellishments. Your teaching will be dubious. He is also referred to as the anointing. These are important things about the personality that we are looking at, that we are going to be baptized or that we are baptized into. He is called the anointing in First John chapter two, verse twenty and twenty-seven. He says, "But you have an anointing from the Holy One." And you know all things. Anointing is to rob something on someone. Remember, he's a paraclete. He's there. So he's around us. Just like a cat robs all over the owner's body. The Holy Spirit is there robbing all over us. A paraclete. In verse 27 it says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. And is true. And is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So the Holy Spirit is the anointing. He robs on the Christian with his presence and all that goes with it. In Acts chapter 10 verse 38, the Bible tells us about how Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. When the Holy Spirit is with you, God is with you. And when he anoints you, you cannot but go around casting out demons, healing people who are oppressed of the devil. So we need to ask some questions. What are we doing in the church today? We don't go out anymore. When we go out, we go out to just go and take names and to invite people to church. We don't preach in our daily lives. We rarely do anything good. It begs the question, therefore, is the Spirit of God with us? Let's come to the work or activities of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this when he was talking to his disciples. I read some already. In John 14, I mentioned verse 26 where he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And in 1 John 2, 27 that we read, he says, the anointing will teach you all things. You don't need a teacher because he will teach you all things. Even when a man is teaching you what the Holy Spirit is teaching you, you will know that this is the Spirit of God teaching you. And you will get understanding. A man filled with the Spirit of God can teach you. And what you are hearing will be the Spirit of God teaching you. He will teach you about all things. That you need to know. When you need to know. In verse 26, he goes on and says, And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He will remind you of things that you had learned. He will remind you of the things that the Lord Jesus Christ had spoken to you at some point in time or another. In John fifteen twenty-six, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will testify of him. He will testify, that is, he will declare the truth about the Lord Jesus He cannot tell a lie. So whatever he says is the truth. In John chapter 16, verse 4, the Lord continues. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. There are some things that the Lord would have told us or may want to tell us. But when the time is not yet ripe, we will not be able to hear. Will not be able to understand. So at the right time, when we are mature enough, the Spirit of God will bring those things to us. He will teach us those truths. In verse 14 of John 16, the Lord just Christ said, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. His role is to glorify the Son. He does not glorify a pastor, he does not glorify a man, he glorifies the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says, I make known to you. That no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you are speaking by the Spirit of God, you cannot curse Christ. That is, you cannot live contrary to Him. And you cannot truly say Jesus is Lord and act it out as though He is Lord except by the Spirit of God. It's very easy to say Jesus is Lord. But do we actually act the part? as servants to a Lord or we are arrogant about it. It is by the Spirit of God that we are able to say Jesus is Lord and it means he is truly Lord in our lives. In John chapter 16, verse 12 to 13, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever He hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So like we said earlier, when you are mature at the right time, he will lead you. He will guide you into all truth. He will reveal scripture to you. It's meaning, interpretation and implication at the right time. Sometimes you have read a part of scripture and you are wondering about that scripture. Then one day, sometime years after some event happened and the spirit of God quickens in you that this is what the Bible means when it says this. And suddenly you understand that, oh, this is it. This is the truth. This is what the Lord means. He will lead you. He will guide you into all truth. It is part of his work when he comes. If we go back up, still John 16 from verse 8 to 11, it says, And when he has come, the Spirit of God, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world, is judged. The Spirit of God, when he comes, he will convict sinners. There are two words meaning conviction there. He will convince them and convict them. I think I've explained this some time before. When a man is brought before a judge, and he has done something contrary to the law, because he has done it contrary to the law, he is convicted. However, the man may not be convinced that he has done anything wrong. So, in the course of reading out the sentence, the judge makes some... That's why you find judges reading... Based on the evidence before me, you did this, you did this. this. Therefore, you ran foul of the law. It is that statement that brings that conviction or convincing to the man. And the man now agrees that he has done wrong. So when he says he will convince you, he will so convince you that you will know that you are a sinner. You can argue when you are not convinced. But when that conviction comes upon you, you will know that you are a sinner. You will know that you have not lived righteously. You will know. And you will know that Christ is the one that you need to live righteously. You will also be convinced that there is eternal judgment. And that because you have sinned against God, you will be ju- This is the work of the Holy Spirit. No man can convince another man about Christ. Which is why we will see later. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you need to wait to be endued with power from on high. It is that power from on high, which is the Holy Spirit baptism, that enables us to preach in a manner that brings conviction. To the hearers of the word, sometimes it's just a five or ten minute message. But the Spirit of God has done a work, a quick work in righteousness in the heart of the listener. And it convicts him. And the man agrees that I'm a sinner. And you see him trembling, looking for salvation. He's not afraid because you said, oh, you will die. No, 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 no. He inside. He knows now because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He will convince and convict the sinner that he needs Christ to be righteous. That you cannot be righteous on your own. You cannot do good. He will convince, convince them that the way you are going, judgment is awaiting you. And the man will begin to plead for forgiveness. And then he's saved. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples again after His resurrection from the dead. He said to them, You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit enables the Christian to do the work of God. He enables the Christian to be a witness of Christ. We were not born when Christ walked the face of the earth. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon a man, nobody on earth can convince you that Jesus Christ did not come. Nobody on earth can convince you that Jesus Christ is not the Lord. Nobody, nothing can convince you differently. You will know that you know, that you know, that you know, because the Spirit of God has come upon you. You will be able to witness that Jesus is the Christ, just like Saul of Tarsus, who was fighting against Christ. When the Spirit of God came upon him, the Bible says instantly he went to the church and began to dispute and to tell them that this Jesus that was crucified is the Christ. He was convinced. If you are still shaking about whether Jesus is Christ or not, you need to find out if the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Acts chapter 13 verse 2, the Bible tells us how the Holy Spirit came when the teachers and prophets and the apostles in the church in Antioch of Syria were ministering to the Lord. said, separate unto me Barnabas and so forth, for the work whereunto I had called them. The Holy Spirit will appoint and assign tasks to Christians. He's the one who sets men apart for a work that he has for them. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 10, he leads and directs in the way that we should go. In that passage of scripture, Paul and his party wanted to go to Bithynia, but he refused them to go. They wanted to go in the direction of Ephesus, but he refused them to go. That night, Paul received a revelation in which he saw a man of Macedonia saying, come on to Macedonia and help us. Now realizing that that is where the Holy Spirit wanted them to go. And so they went there. He will lead you. He will direct you. It's not that there were no sinners in Bithynia. But that was not the territory for Paul and his party. It's not that there were no sinners in Ephesus. But it was not yet time for Paul to go there. The timing was for Macedonia, Philippi. Which was where the church of the Philippians was eventually formed. Let's now look at the character of the Holy Spirit or the nature of the Holy Spirit. As his name suggests. He is holy. No evil or unrighteousness can proceed from him. He is holy. He is a holy spirit. A number of people have asked me questions that, what if I'm asking for the Holy Spirit and an evil spirit comes? I say, he is holy. An evil spirit cannot come when you ask God. God is not wicked. He cannot give you a wrong spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is gentle and meek. He does not force himself on anybody. Even though the word spirit is Numa, which means force, he doesn't force anybody. And because he's gentle and meek, he abhors rowdiness or arrogance. You cannot have the Holy Spirit in you or you are operating in the Holy Spirit. And there's a rowdiness and arrogance and pride. When you begin to understand the character of the Holy Spirit or the nature of the you begin to see some of the things that we hear. People saying that they are speaking by the Spirit of God. He may not be the Spirit of God. It may be another Spirit. It may not be the Holy Spirit. It may not be the gentle Holy Spirit. It may not be the meek Holy Spirit. It may be some other Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings order where there's disorder. He brings light where there's darkness. He brings fullness where there's emptiness. We see that in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Bible says, In the beginning when God was creating the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was present. Even though there may be chaos and roughness. it's not that he is not present, but he's not the author of such roughness." He is there to bring calm, to bring order, to throw light and get darkness to recede. The Holy Spirit is there to fill every void and emptiness in our lives. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible tells us that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We became living because the Spirit of God was breathing to us. So the Spirit of God is a life-giving Spirit. Job chapter thirty-three, verse four: The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. He's a life giver, and He makes the dead to live. In Romans chapter eight, verse eleven, the Bible says, "But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells." In you. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The Spirit of God will give life so that even when we die physically, he will quicken us spiritually. Ideally, the Christian does not die. The Christian sleeps because As he goes into what we call death medically, he awakens in eternity in heaven. Indeed, there are so many things to be said about the Holy Spirit. But suffice to say that when a person is baptized or dipped into or immersed in or overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, such a person would begin to operate under his influence under his leadership, under his direction. This is a very important subject. We won't have time to treat that subject in this broadcast. So by the grace of God, in the next broadcast, we shall be talking about this issue of the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it is important to note that as a result of this influence, this leadership, this direction of the Holy Spirit in that man's life, that individual will be able to perform miracle signs and wonders, will be able to effectively witness about Christ, He'll be able to engage in divine assignments as he should. In John chapter 14, verse 12, the Lord Jesus Christ made a comment. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to my father. And then he said in verse 16, and I will pray the father, he will give you another comforter. So when the spirit of God is in us, the greater works that the Lord expects us to do, we'll be able to do. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ himself was able to do the works because he was baptized with the Holy Ghost. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. When the Holy Spirit is with you, you will see his influence. You will see his impact on your life. It is unthinkable that a person will engage in unholy conduct or conduct that is contrary to the character of the Holy Spirit and claim to be doing so under the influence or direction or leading of the Holy Spirit. The first Spirit is the character of the Holy Spirit. The first Spirit is the Holy Spirit working that character in us so that we can manifest love. It's inconceivable that a Christian will not have love for another human being, even if that person is not a Christian. So when you look at the character, the nature of the Holy Spirit, you can see that it's not possible for the Holy Spirit to be in you and you will be in darkness. It is not possible for you to be overwhelmed, overshadowed by the Spirit of God and there's still chaos in your life. We need to understand these things because when we talk of baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is this influence which we will elaborate more on in our next broadcast. For now, Let's remember, when we spoke about baptism generally, we said when a person is baptized into a medium, he actually takes on the properties of that medium or he's transformed into looking like the medium. For example, when you dip a piece of bread into a plate of stew, the bread takes on, as it were, the property of the stew. It takes on the color, the smell, and even when you throw it in your mouth, the palate savor the stew. So it's a concept that you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And not manifest the nature or the character of the Holy Spirit. And not do the work that the Holy Spirit would do. I've said this before in best repetition. The work of God can only be done by God. No man can do the work of God. And that is where Holy Spirit baptism comes in. When God wants you to do his work, he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. That is the Lord Jesus Christ will baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And by reason of that baptism... The Holy Spirit now does the work using you, through you, or by you. And I think I've used the illustration also of a man who is carrying a heavy load, putting on a pair of gloves. The gloves may be excited that they are carrying the heavy load, but the carrier, the one lifting it, is actually the man. Remove the gloves and keep the gloves on the ground. He can't carry anything. There's a passage of scripture where the Bible says that how can the axe be quarreling with the one who is wielding it? No matter how sharp an axe is, without the one that is wielding it, it can't cut anything. So no matter how anointed you may think you are, if the Holy Spirit is not the one who has anointed you, nothing is going to happen. Which is one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. He's the one who baptizes us into the Holy Spirit, empowering us so that we can do the work. And that work is done by the influence of the Holy Spirit upon us. We are going to talk more on this in our next broadcast. And by the grace of God, I pray that there will be time. Then we'll discuss the baptized also until then i pray that the almighty god who has spoken to you now will cause these things to be quickened in your spirit man so that you will be getting yourself ready if not already energized to do the work of god by the leading and direction of the holy spirit till then god bless you